What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Lee Mikon, who's the CSO of McCann North America, based out of New York, living in the BK. It's a country, right? Brooklyn's a separate country, Lee. Fourth largest city in America. Yeah. Or at least it used to be, yeah. This is own country, let's face it. Uh, welcome, Lee. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. We're going to bite off a big topic today. The topic is the craft of planning. What those words are, how you learn it, how you do it, how you improve at it whether you know that you're doing it while you're doing it and all these good things. Lee, a little bit of background. How did you get into planning? What's your planning career been like to date? A little bit by accident. I think like most good planners, I started off, I was working in a law firm. It was my first job out of college and like, you know, nice Jewish boy from Mexico. Like, I'm going to go be a lawyer. And I did it for a year and I was a paralegal. And I had a wonderful experience and worked at a terrific law firm and realized that there was absolutely no way that I was going to be a lawyer. I mean, it was so divorced from the client's business and I didn't feel like I was making things that actually were landing in the world. And I had a friend who was working in an ad agency and he told me a little bit about this thing called planning and how, you know, you get to spend time with people and then make things that sort of land hopefully in culture. And I was like, that sounds, uh, that sounds cool. I want to do that. And so I started and it was quite a while ago and there weren't that many planning jobs. And somehow I made my way through to an office at Saatchi where they didn't have any jobs, but they had a Hispanic market agency that was looking to hire a planner to work on um, a bunch of different brands. And so I interviewed and somehow they gave me that job. So I'm very grateful for that. That's really cool. I, I wonder whether we approach this, this chat uh, just breaking down the words that we use all the time for people mm. who potentially might want to work for you at some point, but people who are trying to get in are a bit, a bit new. So let's start with the word planning, which obviously yes. comes from account planning. What is account planning to Lee Mikon? I, you know, when I first took the job, someone described the job to me as you are the voice of the consumer in the advertising process. I was like, oh, okay. And I don't know if that's as true anymore as it once was. I'd like to think that it is, but it's a good thing for me to always come back to as something at the, at the heart of what this job is about. Because I think as sort of planning has morphed into strategy, you wound up with a really broad brush, and I think rightfully so, of what the job can mean. You know, I mean, you've done a lot of work on, you know, how does that play out into comms planning and how do you get into inspirational work and new platforms and new technology. But at its heart, it's about worrying about what people care about and it's about trying to find a path for brands to do things that people are going to care about. And so I think for me, the planning piece has always had that kind of baked into it. And it's really important. So I, I think more often than not, I refer to what I do as strategy. But when I describe it to people, it's really about understanding people and trying to make sure that work we make are the types of things that those people are going to care about. And then for you, because I don't think either of us are interested in authoritarian definitions of, of words and who gets to use them, but what, what's the difference between strategy and account planning? I think if you were to take authoritarian definitions of them, I think for me, strategy can be at its best that broader brush of everything from the development of ideas grounded in trying to solve business problems, understanding consumer behavior, and then that jumping off point into the creative work. I mean, I think there, it's, in a lot of ways, I think there are false distinctions mm. between the two. I do think that strategy at its best is that kind of broader sense of all of those planning things, plus how does it play out in the world? What does it mean for the client's business? How does it connect to communication strategy and 
you know, kind of the content strategy of what can play out in different platforms. So I think of strategy in my head, and this is just how I think of it, is it has sort of all of the different parts, all of the different flavors of strategy. And planning is sort of that initial spark of inspiration that's grounded in people's behavior. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, the word craft, seeing planning. And, I, and I, I feel that in the US, I would use planning, account planning and strategy relatively interchangeable, depending on who I'm talking with, depending on the, like the context totally. of the conversation. Because at some point, the word strategy is not even about business. It's like, there's a lot of people who will find distinction between some of these words. And you're like, yep. yeah, but you're, you're doing it within a small playpen there. Because if you really want to secularize these words, they can be even broader and by being broader, even more useful to people in their lives. Uh, when you think of account planning or planning as a craft, mm-hmm. what's that about? What's the idea in that? What's it arguing for? I mean, I think, I think that's the interesting thing is I think a lot of people who've come to this more recently see it as strategy and they're always sort of looking for how do I do this? What's amazing is when I started this, and I think probably when you started this, there were like two things you could read and that was it. And you just sort of had to do it. And I think now there's so many different types of inspiration and, you know, you've been amazing in producing a lot of it in a relatively short period of time, but it makes it hard to know what you're supposed to do. And so when I think of craft, I, I, I think of what are the kind of discrete things that I can make? Because there's like the things we make and the things we do. And then there's also just like all of the stuff that we wind up having influence on. And I think strategists at their best are people who have an influence beyond just the things that they make. But then it's really hard to measure what you're actually doing. Mm -hmm. What are you actually working on? And so that's where then having that like a brief, a strategy, an understanding of who an audience is, you know, those are things that we can focus on and things that we can, you know, words matter that go into those things. And ideally they're fairly reductive and they're pretty simple. And so then we're able to understand whether or not those things are good. Because then on top of that, we have influence on people and the choices that they make and our creative partners and our media partners and our clients and other people in the agency and outside. But there are only a couple of things that we can focus on that we make. And I think those things are worth doing well and worth making choices about whether or not we're putting the right types of words or pictures or images into those things to help craft the story that we want to tell. Mm. So is it fair to say that the use of a phrase like the craft of planning is to argue for intuition, empathy, practice, a sense of kind of devotion and uh, to, to like the invisible stuff that matters that you know once you've done it. And to argue for those things is to potentially argue against very concrete, linear, literal, process-minded systems or, or people uh, especially in New York, you know, I think there are a lot of people who try to create strategy groups or hire people and they treat them like they're working in a factory. Like what's the process to get to the inside? Is it bulletproof? Is it data-driven? All these kinds of things, which are not false questions to ask, but sometimes they skip over the fact that there's like a, an ambiguity and, uh, and craftness to the career. Is that, I'm throwing words into your mouth, but is that a fair yeah. argument? Yes and no. Using word like craft means that you have to make things. Using, so craft means that you have to make things. Got it. And I think sometimes that is process-driven, right? Like great artists have a process. And some of that process is really simple and basic and everyday. And it involves like getting up at the same time and you know, having, sitting in front of something and then making something. I think, I think the, the problem that I have is less 
you know, process driven versus intuition driven, which I, I mean, I think, I think both are important, mm. but the problem I have is strategists who talk, but don't make, mm. I think a lot of times you have people who, when you sit down and you talk, you wind up hearing a lot of the right things for what a brand or a client or whoever should do. And then you're like, that's really interesting go make a thing and then it'll give us something to talk about. And I think the challenge is a lot of times we talk and then we don't make. And I think one of the things that you've done a great job with, and I think the best people I've ever worked with have done is at a certain point, they sit down and they write something or they draw something or they craft something. And in the beginning, that, and I think whether you're intuition first or data first is almost irrelevant because if you start with data, you need to get to intuition. If you start with intuition, you need to get to data. Mm. but either way you're making something. Okay. And I think that's the real distinction is craft for me means you make things and hopefully sometimes by the time you're done making that thing, it's pretty good. Um, yeah. But at least you're making something. And even if it's bad, I'd rather have something that's bad and done because you can always make it better. Totally. Totally. Uh, what are more examples of things that you might expect a planner to make? Trouble. Mm. Um, I mean, the brief is at its best is such a, an important thing because it sort of contains all of the different parts of the craft and forces you, if it's good and simple and clear, to approach defining the problem and defining an audience and defining what we're going to do or, or say to that audience with real discipline. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's why it, it matters. I think I expect people to make stories and it doesn't have to be you know, 46 page decks with, you know, full bleed images and block out type and all that kind of stuff. But I, I do think, you know, when I walk into a room and I'm talking to people about the ideas that they have, I try to force them, like, if you were to put this entire story, like, pretend that the meeting is not an hour and a half with the client, pretend that the meeting is, you know, the client walks, this has happened to me, I'm sure this has happened to you as well. You know, you work for a month on a presentation and some very senior person walks into a, a room and is like, I'm so sorry, my flight to London is leaving three hours earlier than I thought it was going to. I now have, you know, 20 minutes for this meeting. You have five minutes to tell me the strategy. Sorry, but tell me what the story is. And I think forcing people to kind of get into that mode and forcing people to get into that mode of, we have to be able to kind of distill these stories down to a simple couple of sentences, mm -hmm. um, as I haven't done in answering your question. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that ability to, be able to get down to those like 25 words and then add all of the things and the video and the facets of the story and, and, and the depth and the rigor and, and all that. But being able to right. distill the, the strategy down to that story, I think that story is, is everything. Got it, got it. So for you, making is going beyond the talk and putting it onto paper or onto some kind of object, get the idea down for people to react to. That makes sense. Do you, do you believe in the idea of junior strategists? Well, I mean, everybody has to start somewhere. I was a junior strategist. I may or may not have known what I was doing. I unfortunately had a boss who left six months after I started. And then I had to go present a strategy to somebody who was the head of a division of Procter & Gamble, you know, six months after I started the job. And you figure it out. You know, so I, it's challenging because not every client wants to necessarily talk to those people. And sometimes, depending on the organization, it's a little hard to get them paid for. But it's more than worth the investment because I think that's where agencies grow and thrive from the ideas, the great people who know enough of the fundamentals to come in and make a difference on the business, but don't know what they don't know. And they're always additive. So I think it's really mm -hmm. important to keep bringing in young people into any agency. 
Okay. And then when you think about the different titles, the different levels that you have at McCann, I guess, what, mm -hmm. could, you, could you quickly run us through what those titles are? Is that there's a junior strategist and then up to the chief strategy officer, like global chief strategy officer? What are the titles in between? It's funny that you asked that. It's a little complex here because there's a lot of, maybe not in McCann in North America, but when you sort of look across a whole organization, there is some complexity. But I think what we're trying to get to over time and we're, we're getting there pretty quickly, is a really simple way of looking at it. So yeah, there's a junior strategist, strategist, senior, and then you know you have strategy director, and then group strategy director. And we have somebody in New York who oversees brand strategy, somebody who is more focused on digital and social, and then another who's much more focused on comm strategy. And that's an interesting kind of dynamic, right? Because you're trying to teach everybody all of those different disciplines, but there's enough depth of knowledge required that it's worth having a different sort of delineation between each. Mm -hmm. And frankly, you know, we have the scale where we can and should do that. And then there's a chief strategy officer in each of our offices who oversees the teams and brings those different flavors of strategy together. Mm -hmm. And I just want to pick two of the titles. Yeah. From senior strategist to strategy director, what's the leap there? What, what are you looking for? What's different? That's, that's I think, the most interesting jump, right? Because I think to me, the difference between a senior strategist and a strategy director is the difference between having a vision for a project or a period of time and having a vision for a brand or how multiple projects work together to tell a story about the brand. Mm. And I think there's, there's a, a learning curve in terms of learning how to be of counsel and of use to a client. You know, when the client starts picking up the phone and asking you your opinion before they make their own decisions. I think that's, that's that move is from senior strategist to strategy director. Okay. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier the phrase getting paid for. How do you work with in your company to get strategists paid for? There's belief and then there's the practical side of things. I've been very fortunate to have worked throughout my career, for the most part, in places that really believe in strategy and planning. And so that belief system makes it that much easier to then actually get them paid for. And, you know, there's a deep belief here, you know, if McCann is all about helping brands play a meaningful role in people's lives, then strategy is an integral part of helping craft those roles for brands and how those kind of come to life and how we work with creatives. And then there's the pragmatic side. I mean, some of the best experiences I've had, you know, I've been very fortunate to have great partners and I continue to seek out partnership in the new business team, in the account and business leadership, you know, the account team. It's a really, really important part of understanding and having empathy for them and the jobs that they have to do. And then trying to help them understand how having the right allocation, which is not a pretty word to strategists, but having the right allocation of strategy will help them do their jobs better. I mean, and, and, you know, great account folks who are experienced and are trying to drive great creative for clients understand that. And so it's not hard to make that case. But I think, you know, we talk a lot about empathy for consumers, empathy for the people we're trying to advertise to. I think having empathy for our account partners, I mean, it's a hard job. New business in an agency is a hard job. And I think as the more we're able to be empathetic to them and help them understand how what we do can help them do their jobs more easily, mm -hmm. the easier that sort of logistical side of things comes together. 
So I get a question like this quite often, and it's probably someone looking for an answer who might apply to you or to one of your strategy people. And, and the question runs something like this. I'm really interested in the strategy. I've just done a boot camp or a one to two year course in advertising, possibly in, in planning. I'm trying to work out how to get in. What's the best thing for me to do? Should I write a a blog? Should I put on events? Should I try to speak at things? How do I get people's attention? How do you pull apart that question to give an answer that might be useful to someone? I think it goes back to the question is what is the craft of planning and it's making things. And even if they're bad, it's easier to make something bad better than it is to make something that doesn't exist better. I think the same thing is true for people starting now. It's a very different world than the world that I started into. And so there's so many opportunities for people to start just making things. And whether it's, you know, account folks who are already in the agency who want to, you know, have seen what strategy or planning is about and they want to join in, it's like, start making things, you know. And then as we win business or as current clients grow, you're the first on the list if you're making good things to come over. And so we've actually, we use our new business team and our account team as a uh, sort of like a farm system or as like a, you know, a feeder system for the strategy team. So you asked a question earlier about, you know, what, what do I believe in junior strategists? I mean, if it's somebody who's already been working on the new business team for the last year, or if it's somebody who has been working on the account team for the last year, they're already plugged into the way that this place works. So they're not starting cold. And so I think making things, taking that first job and then figuring out how to make things and reframe your experience into something that's going to be helpful uh, is incredibly useful. If you're not working in an agency, the same thing, you know, I mean, unfortunately it, it takes an investment of time and energy and resource, but, you know, Sarah Watson has been running the beautiful minds program now for a number of years. That's a terrific feeder program. You know, you're doing the workshops. That's another great kind of feeder program. I think each of those Miami ad school and so on and so forth, each give people the opportunity to just start making things. But maybe the, the, you know, some of the best that I've had the opportunity to work with are people who were you know, working on pitches here at McCann and started making the strategy things. And then we win the business and then they're on the strategy team. Mm. Right, I got two questions about making that shift, that switch once someone's in there. So other than the fact that you might look for what they've made, what else, what do you look for in, in an individual who's stuck their hand up and said, you know what, I'd be interested in joining the strategy team? Yeah, I mean, I think an understanding that they need to make things. So I, I, I don't want to make, I want to make it clear that that's the most important. I mean, curiosity, you know, I mean, and not just sort of like idle curiosity, like asking good questions, which is totally important, but a demonstrated curiosity in sort of things that are mainstream and things that are maybe a little bit weird. You know, you, you can tell when people are, you know, heard somebody say, oh, I want to see things that are weird, that they start doing weird things. But you know, just things that are on the fringes of culture and, and, and that they have a proven life of exploring things. And that can kind of manifest itself in lots of different ways. And so I, I think everybody's a little bit different. But I think there's always like one sort of curious thing on a good strategist's resume. And ideally, you know, it, it takes a little bit of time to discover that. But I think that's, that's one of the most important things is an interest in the fringes and a little bit of demonstrated, more than a little bit of demonstrated curiosity. Mm -hmm. And then the second question, as far as someone wanting to make that switch is, and I'm sure you've heard this one as well before, is I want to make the switch. 
I don't know if I should tell my boss in case my boss punishes me or doesn't support me and I potentially get outcast and lose my job. Any advice there? You're probably working for the wrong boss in the first place. So it's maybe not a terrible thing. You know, I think good bosses want people to develop, right? Like that's the whole point of being a boss is, is teaching people new things, having them teach you new things, and then helping everybody grow. You know, I think it depends on the boss and the person. But I think if somebody's working for somebody who isn't really receptive to you trying new things, you're probably not working for the right person anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Is that a flip answer or is that? No, it's probably one of those answers that people might think, oh, you know, it's fine for you to say Mr. National CSO, but when you're in it and you've got big college debt and rent to pay and maybe you're sharing a a flat or an apartment you don't like with six people, it's like, I don't know what to do. No safety net for me. No, I know. I know. It's, It's hard. I mean, but I think that that's an important realization for people is like, it's a dirty word, but like in any interpersonal set of interpersonal relationships is politics. Mm. So I think people need to learn. I mean, that's where I, I worked for a TV network and I was in research and you know, it was sort of planning also for a while where we helped clients understand you know, the, how to get into the Hispanic market. And after a while I left because the growth trajectory there was to go be a salesperson that's generally in TV networks as you start in research, then you go or a salesperson. And, and I didn't want to be a salesperson. It was like, oh, I don't, want to, I don't want to be in sales. I don't want a number. And then I realized like five years later in my career that like when I was up in front of a client selling a piece of work, that I was a salesperson and I had a number. Mm-hmm. And so I think as it's unfortunate, and you're right, like you're living in your, you know, three bedroom with six people in, you know, someplace not near a train and you have a lot of stress and debt and all those things. But I think understanding that, you know, we, we have to sell our ideas. And if we see ourselves in a different type of role, we need to sell it to somebody. Mm-hmm. And so if the boss is receptive, great. So then the sale is a little bit easier. But if the boss is not receptive, then it's just a question again of like empathy and understanding what is the thing that's going to help them understand that your growth is to their benefit and whether subtly or directly kind of selling it to them. Mm-hmm. Is that a better answer? Yeah, no, I, I, it's definitely an additional answer. It's, uh, it's not for me to judge. I think it, it'll be the emotion of the people listening to this who are desperate to maybe be a CSO one day and for that to happen really soon, uh, that it'll be them who will judge whether that was a good answer. Can you talk us through one of the main strategy frameworks that planners at McCann use when doing brand strategy and or writing a creative brief? Sure. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think I, it's a good question. I think I can talk about it. I'll go back. Five years ago, six years ago, McCann World Group came under new leadership. Um, Harris Diamond, who'd never worked in an advertising agency, who'd previously run the PR agencies within... IPG took it over. And, you know, McCann was this big battleship that was sort of in need of a new vision. And he hired, and this is all public and people know this, he hired my boss, Suzanne Powers, who is the global CSO, and Rob Riley. I don't remember who came first and who came second, but they came out around the same time and they'd worked together previously. And they put in this system or this way of thinking about what we do that stemmed from something I mentioned before, which is this idea of 
helping brands play a meaningful role in people's lives. And that's sort of the thing, the hook, the center, and the focus of what McCann says that we do. And within that, we talk a lot about, you know, there's been a sign that's been on the, the wall at McCann for however long McCann's been around, 107 years, which is truth well told. It's literally something that H.K. McCann came up with 107 years ago. And so we wound up out of that, and when I say we, I mean them, um, talking about this idea of how do you take truth to meaning. And without getting too much into like the tools and the frameworks, what that notion of truth to meaning was about is how do you get at simple human, cultural, category, uh, company truths that lie at the heart of every product or every consumer or you know, kind of that can help you unlock and solve that problem and turn it into a meaningful role that, that you can play in people's lives. And so when we do that, we do kind of a, a pretty in-depth uh, analysis of all of those different facets and then turn that into what we call a springboard, which is a brief. And I think what one of the things that's been at the heart of a lot of McCann's creative success and strategic success over the course of the last you know five years or so has been that we use that approach everywhere in the world wherever you go there's one brief that's how we kind of distill everything down and how we focus creative teams and that's the jumping off point that we use for everything and it's 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 tremendous because it means that you know people can walk in someplace on a global piece of business with maybe some people that they haven't even met before but there's a common language and you're solving for the same thing and i think too often we do, you know, it, it, we need to, we need to, we need to rely on people's intuition and creativity and the different things that we all bring to this as individuals. But we also have to realize that, you know, we can't let it suffer from what somebody I was talking to recently called the chocolate problem, which is I say chocolate and, you know, Mark, you think of milk chocolate and I think of, you know, 98% dark chocolate and somebody else thinks of, you know, stuff with chili in it. And we need to sort of find common language to then use to kind of get at and get to the unique things that we all bring to the process. Yeah. So that's what, that's what this process tries to do. T- totally makes sense. And uh, you know, going back to the idea of words as authoritarianly defined things, authoritarianly is not a word, but uh, you know, the, the but point, it be, Mark. The, it the point, which should be, it could be, we'll make it happen. Uh, the, the point isn't to define words in completely inflexible ways, it's to define them in public with each other so you work better together, even if that definition shifts in public at some point. So I totally get that. Could you think of two examples from anywhere in the world of McCann that bring to life the idea of helping brands find a meaningful role in people's lives where planning honestly, hand on heart, played a really important role? Sure. One really good example, I think, is the Microsoft, the work that we did around the Microsoft Adaptive Controller, uh, which aired, it was a TV spot and a, a lot of other stuff that aired around the Super Bowl. And I think what was interesting about that is, you know, there you have Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, took over the company a number of years ago, and or five years ago or so. And he had this vision for the company after years and years of Microsoft being a company that was focused on, you know, putting a, a computer on every desktop, right? That was the vision from, you know, 40 years ago. And obviously it's changed and adapted over time. But here he was somebody who was really trying to put a new vision in for the company. And he was talking about empowering people and companies. And that's what Microsoft tries to do. And so our challenge was, how do you best tell that story? What I think we found 
in that case within the company itself was a product that was the perfect product to help us tell that story and a really sort of human and warm idea to help tell that story. So normally you probably would tell a story like that by finding some of the biggest products, so the Microsoft Surface or the Xbox itself, and how tell a story about how that helps deliver and what the company is all about. And instead, we realized that there was this product that was relatively small, was a, an adaptive controller, which was a controller made for people who are differently abled to be able to create their own setup so that they could actually play video games. Um, and what that really was about was recognizing that if when they can win, when, when they can play the game, everybody wins. Mm. So it's the best way to tell this big, big, big macro story was actually in this relatively small product and then tell the story of the kids who were able to play games with their friends, connect with their friends, be you know, just sort of part of the mainstream of the culture in which they lived because of this wonderful product that stemmed out of the role that the, the company was trying to play in people's lives. So I think that's one really good example of where cool. sort of the discovery and then kind of this insight in, you know, when they win, when they're able to play, everybody wins, was an interesting flip on a, on a product that maybe would have otherwise gone, you know, without having its story told. That's very cool. Very cool. Can you give me one more? Yeah. And I think, I think another really good example of a body of work that really has come from a real insight in behind the company and what people are looking for has been all the work that we've been doing for Chick-fil-A. In the process of getting to the client, in the process of developing work for them, we really have worked with them to identify basically these sort of gaps, these nourishment gaps in people's lives and the role that a company can play. And so Chick-fil-A in its core DNA is about caring for others. And if you've ever been inside a Chick-fil-A, you can see the care with which they bring to the food that they make and they, you can see the the care with which they, they bring to the relationship that they have with the people who walk into every restaurant every day. And so we've really tried to put that message of care into the work. And so we have a body of work that, you know, a big, big chunk of it doesn't show or talk about food. It's about the relationship between the people who eat at Chick-fil-A and the people who work there and how they bring care into the relationship that they have between them. Mm-hmm. Again, my, the words are not coming to me as well as I would like on a, on a Friday at 5.30. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's, it's really important. And so it's, it's, they've been really brave for a category that always puts the food first to put the food second behind the relationship with human beings and the care that they bring into people's lives. And that's the thing that really makes them different. We just did a campaign that's around the holidays. It's a two-minute spot that aired on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Two minutes that doesn't even have the brand or any of the product in it until the very, very end. And it's just the sign off Mm. because it's more about spreading a message of spending quality time with the people who you love and how that can be such a great gift and how that's an embodiment of that kind of care. Uh, And they've been really brave to do that. And that came from that process and that understanding of the meaningful role that Chick-fil-A can play in people's lives, which is to bring a little bit more care. Mm -hmm. Very cool. All right. Last, last question. For somebody who's newish to a strategy career, wanting to get into one, I think the idea of interacting with a creative department can be a bit intimidating. Mm. Any advice for someone who's about to do their first or write their first creative brief, do their first briefing? How, how do you build the relationship with a creative team to a point where they want you in the room more often than not? I think recognizing that being in the room happens with you letting them into your room first. So, you know, maybe don't necessarily start with the 
group creative director or ECD who's, you know, busy and has to maybe get to her kid's soccer game by five o'clock, start and understand who your peers and partners can be. I've always erred on the side of sharing too much too soon and realizing that kind of developing strategy, as much as I was talking earlier about how, you know, the craft is what you put down on paper, the beginning of the craft is the story and is the conversation that you have with your creative partner. Most of the great work happens in those conversations. The trick is then how do you distill it and write it and get it down? But I think that's the, that's the real key is, you know, look at it as a conversation. Don't try to surprise people with a brief. If you are ever, and I hope people know this, and this is just going to sound, you know, cliche and, and tired, but like if you're ever walking into a briefing and that's the first time anybody's seeing that brief on the creative team, you're, it's a problem. And so I think as much as possible, the way that we get invited into rooms is by inviting people into ours. I like that. I like that. Lee, where's your room on the internet if people want to find out more about how you think, what you get up to? Are you active? I've been, I've been less active, honestly, for the last... I moved. I got married this year. My mom was sick. So I've been much less active than I used to be. Mm. Um, I'm on Twitter at Lee Mycon. I live there. And, uh, you know, occasional pictures from... Uh, Brooklyn on Instagram. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you for joining me today. It's nice just to do a chat about some of the stuff that once you've been around for a while, you, you might take for granted until something doesn't work anymore. And you're like, oh, I need to revisit what that word means. And it's just nice to have a simple chat about some of the simple things that sometimes we get too good for too soon. So thank you for, uh, for doing that. I think you put it far better than I did. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for joining me on Sweathead today, Lee. Thank you. Boys.